Welcome to 340B Insight from 340B Health. Hello from Washington, D.C., and welcome back to 340B Insight, the podcast about the 340B drug pricing program. I'm David Glendinning with 340B Health. Our guest today is Colette Barrett, Vice President of Mission for Our Lady of the Lake Regional Medical Center in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. The medical center is one of several that 340B Health will be featuring in an upcoming report on how our member hospitals are pursuing health equity within the communities they serve. We conduct regular research on the equity topic to share best practices among hospitals and to serve as a source of inspiration for 340B professionals working to tackle healthcare disparities. We were eager to speak to Colette to hear about some of the compelling and promising work that Our Lady of the Lake is doing in this area. But before we go to that interview, let's take a minute to cover some of the latest news about 340B. <music> 340B Health is out with a new survey report on the effects of drug company restrictions on discounts for drugs dispensed at community and specialty contract pharmacies. We had conducted a similar survey near the end of 2021, when only eight companies' restrictive policies had taken effect. By the time we conducted our March survey, that number had jumped to 14 drug makers. The bottom line in the new report is that the projected financial losses to 340B hospitals from these drug company actions have more than doubled since the end of 2021. Some hospitals are estimating annual losses that are in the tens of millions of dollars. And these figures do not even account for the expected effects of new contract pharmacy restrictions put in place by Gilead and Johnson & Johnson, which are the 15th and 16th companies to impose them. Please check out the show notes to read the full report, which 340B Health also has sent to every member of Congress and to key administration officials. Drug companies' community and specialty contract pharmacy restrictions have sparked more opposition from organizations representing patients with chronic diseases who rely on 340B hospitals for their care. A coalition of patient advocacy groups representing people living with viral hepatitis and HIV-AIDS has issued a joint statement noting that several of the major drugs affected by restrictions on 340B pricing are crucial for treating and curing patients living with hepatitis C. The statement calls on AbbVie, Gilead, Merck, and the other companies to reconsider their restrictive policies in light of the impact on these patients. Read the full statement in the show notes. And now for our feature interview with Colette Barrett. Miles Goldman recently sat down with Colette to hear about health equity initiatives that Our Lady of the Lake Regional Medical Center has integrated into its patient care mission. Here's that conversation. Thank you, David. I'm joined by Colette Barrett from Our Lady of the Lake Regional Medical Center. Colette, welcome to 340B Insight. Thank you. Thank you so very much. It's nice to be here. And I'm excited to have you joining us to hear about the work Our Lady of the Lake is doing in pursuit of health equity. I do want to hear more about the community Our Lady of the Lake serves. Absolutely. We are very fortunate to be a 1,005-bed academic medical center located in what I call the greater Baton Rouge area. 
we're actually spread over three campuses. We have a main campus, um, which is our tertiary level um, services, trauma center, et cetera. Our children's hospital, which is our newest addition, freestanding. And then we have an 84-bed Kind of, it's not necessarily a rural hospital, but in a community a parish a little bit further away from us. And we service the capital area. So we serve uninsured, underinsured, Medicare, Medicaid, managed care. We're a full service provider in this region. I want to hear about some of the ways the medical center is using its 340B savings. I am so glad that you asked that question because we are very, very fortunate and proud to be a part of the 340B program. We believe that the savings that we enjoy because of 340B or what we turn back into caring for those most in need, supportive care for those most in need. We have a clinic in the mid-city portion of our region who serves mostly the underinsured or uninsured uh, Medicaid population. Our pharmacy there, we were able to, when we took that pharmacy over in 2013, went from 14 to 16 day turnaround time for a medication fill to less than 12 minutes. And it was a very, 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 very important for us to know that we were able to meet the needs of our brothers and sisters in these disadvantaged or under-resourced areas of our city and to bring to them the level of services um, and care that everyone has a right and a desire to have. Those are really great results to hear about and, and really impressive. How do 340B savings connect to Our Lady of the Lake's pursuit of health equity? That's a really good question. And health equity can be defined in many, 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 many different ways. But one of the ways that we like to look at that around an equity lens is, is it access to care? And is it equal access to care, no matter where in the city that you are located? And so looking at access, we're able to um, make sure that our clinics are open in those areas, we actually were able to expand and open our an emergency room in the northern part of our parish. When one of the inner city hospitals emergency rooms closed in 2015, uh, we went through a discovery process of how, what was the impact on the community. And because of the impact on the community, we were able to expand services and open this emergency room attached to our urgent care clinic and primary care clinics up in the northern part of our parish. That is a way that you use the savings that you have through your 340B program to expand services to underserved areas. That's really interesting to me that you undertook this study. Can you, can you tell a little bit more about that? Yes, we actually worked with our city parish government. We worked with our Louisiana Department of Health. We worked with the other um, healthcare providers in our community to take a look at what was the throughput time on or the response time on ambulances to a scene picking someone up and bringing someone to an emergency room. We looked at what were the impacts by diagnosis, realizing that trauma were going to come to us no matter what because we are the trauma center for our region, but other diagnoses and looking at the increased time that it took for an ambulance to respond. To respond. And what we saw was that there was a less than one minute 
increase in response time across our community with with EMS services. If you're having an asthma attack, if you are having a respiratory compromise, if it is an out-of-hospital cardiac arrest, 50-something seconds is a, is a lifetime and makes a difference in someone's health. And so looking at the data told us that we really did need to take a look at how we support our um, pre-hospital community by making sure they had another option, an alternative in the northern part of our parish. I'm really glad you mentioned data, Colette. What advice do you have for hospitals on how they can start to collect data and apply it to their efforts to address health disparities? This is a topic we hear a lot about. Well, I think it's interesting the first thing that we've struggled with is, is our demographic data accurate? Is it appropriate? And are we gathering it on admission? And so going to our electronic health records is a place to start with looking at, you know, who we serve, who is the population that we serve. The other parts about data, and especially in like emergency rooms, is understanding what gets in the way of achieving what it is that we've asked them to do. We actually looked at that as part of a health equity lens. We signed the one, two, three, four equity pledge. That was back in 2016 from the American Hospital Association. And we chose to look at readmission rates, recidivism in the emergency room. And we looked at patients who had visits with us greater than six within a year. And then we plotted that information. And what we found were these were some of the patients that were located in the part of our parish where there was no emergency room. So that was part of the data that we used to to help say we need to open this emergency room in 2017 because people were finding their way to an emergency room in the southern part of the parish. As a part of that, we began to look at social workers in our emergency room to look at the reasons why people were familiar to us. We use the term familiar face. And so what we found was that when our team was using a transactional approach to caring for the patient, meaning, you know, here's your appointment, here's your doctor, here's where you're supposed to be, here's when you are, you know, you didn't make the appointment, you want to let us know what was happened. You know, when we took a transactional approach to that work, we only had about 37% of our patients that kept their Connect to Care primary care appointment. When our social worker lead then said, we've got to have a different way of doing this, and we flipped our model to what we called relationship-based care, where the first reach out was, tell me how you're doing, how's things going. When we turned this to a building a relationship with our patient and the connection to care was the outcome that happened, it wasn't the reason for it, we saw a fundamental difference in the uptake of people keeping their primary care appointment. That went from, you know, the 20s, the the high 20s, almost to the high 70s. Well, I like how you've taken this data and then it's led to a direct outcome. We've heard about food insecurity being a major social determinant of health. Is this one of the social determinants of health Our Lady of the Lake is, is seeing and, and working on? 
Yes, thank you for asking that. We are approaching this from multiple different ways. First of all, we are a partner with our Mayor's Healthy City Initiative, and one of their foci is food insecurity and social isolation. And so there are um, community-based programs that we're a part of. One of our faculty in the internal medicine um, program, Dr. Tiffany Ardwan, um, actually is conducting a study. It's called the FISH study, and it's looking at food insecurity and teaching people how to cook uh, and be exposed to new foods. Because what we found is that people were not comfortable or, you know, an eggplant, what is that? You know, broccoli, how do you cook that? And so we undertook this project with cooking class with our people from our clinics that screened as food insecure. They receive a rescue box from our food bank. That's another way that we partnered with a community, a collaborating partner. And with the Baton Rouge Food Bank, we now provide for patients that screen food insecure in our clinics a rescue box, 25-pound box of food supplement that is considered as healthy as you can get in a box. And then they are connected to the food bank for future follow-up where there may be other food programs, food distribution programs. From that, they were connected to our teaching class program. And in each one of those weekly programs, they receive a food box from one of the partners. And that's where we connect the social organizations in our community that we support through sponsorships or donations with other needs that we've identified in the community itself to say, hey, here's a need here. How can we work together with you all to to address that? These issues of of health disparities and and pursuing health equity, this really became much more on the front page because of the COVID-19 pandemic. And I wanted to hear a little bit more about some of the work you've been doing in that area. So in the very, very early days when vaccines outside of healthcare were just coming into being, we were able to make commitments to churches across our community, not just Catholic churches, all faith churches, to come in and do COVID-19 vaccine clinics on site with them as a partner. And that really did help a lot in the early days when people were very suspect because if the church evaluated that it was something that was important and they were willing to partner with you on it, then it told the congregation that this might be a good thing to do. And so we did multiple church clinics in the early days and then opened our own vaccine clinics. We partnered with the state of Louisiana and opened up a mega vaccine program on the Pennington Biomedical Research Campus. That was program and slotted to give, you know, 1,000, 1,200 shots a day. How did you go about funding the mobile clinics? Yeah, that's a really good question. There are lots of ways that there was funding made available for these. For example, our 340B savings programs help fund the mobile clinics where we have mobile units that went out into areas that were harder to get to or we needed community stakeholders to work with us to get people to come and get their vaccines. And so, you know, uh, our 340B program helps support some of those. Did you run into challenges with increasing vaccine uptake? 
There were many, many, many challenges about vaccine uptake. And as a society, we're still not exactly where we need to be. And so, like I said earlier, you know, partnering with trusted resources is a way to get some sort of halo effect when it comes to acceptance. In working with our African-American churches, we found that utilization of the Moderna vaccine uh, was much more readily acceptable to segments of, of that population. And so it was working with our state and working with our pharmacies to make sure that we had Moderna available to us for these types of, of screening programs that we were doing. And so working with all kinds of community partners to get people out and to talk. We mostly wanted people to have the information that they needed to have the, com- the table conversation. You know, the conversation with your family around the breakfast table, around the supper table, and to be able to address concerns and issues from a personal level and from a from an ability to meet people where they were and walk with them where we would like them to go. We've spoken about several really great promising initiatives with you. Do you see some ways where they're all tying together? So with our DEI efforts at the system level, we have a community work group. And this is where the data on equity, like our own team members and, you know, just wages, et cetera. You know, and looking at operations, it's looking at our spend. In other words, what is our spend as a system with uh, minorities, women, local, small-owned, veteran businesses? Even though you have a GPO, you still have an opportunity, even within your GPO construct, to purchase local. And so, you know, what does that look like? And then with our investments, it's like, are we doing um, social impact investing? Are we taking investment dollars and are we putting them back into the communities? And so, from our perspective and our system, we've put those together so that we have a system DEI executive. We have a system DEI manager. And then each one of our ministries and and our areas have DEI committees. And then we have uh, an infrastructure for implementation. And so that's how, you know, structure drives outcome and performance. And so we made the decision as a ministry to roll that all up into our DEI. That makes it sustainable, measurable, and, you know, something that we can can point to and know who's responsible for what. We've heard about the progress Our Lady of the Lake has been making, and, and there are many other hospitals that have seen some achievements in the, in the last recent years around the pursuit of health equity. Are there steps these hospitals should be taking to keep up the momentum? Absolutely. Start with starting with where you are and what you have. How do you go forward? One of the things that I always encourage the the organizations that I work with is look and see who's already in the community doing what it is that you you know subscribe to do or aspire to do. You know, if it's about talent acquisition, who's in the community skilling people up and getting them ready for meaningful and gainful employment. And so partnering with that organization to increase their scope and scale is is a way to do that. Around workforce development, you know, the the organ the institutions that are creating the workforce for the future 
are we partnering with community college, with technical colleges, about skills and trades that are much needed in this whole vast arena of, of healthcare? You know, how are we partnering with those institutions to give them stability so that they can increase the pipeline of students that they can bring into the organization to skill them up, train them up, educate them up so that then they're ready for um, employment with other organizations, you know, other healthcare organizations. It's to me, it's just important to pause and and look around and see what the options and potentials are, and how we can partner with those organizations to do a bigger, better job. You know, to leave things better than how they were when we found them. Well, I couldn't think of a of a better note to end our conversation on Colette. Thank you for helping us continue to keep health equity front and center. I appreciate you taking the time to speak with us. You're so very welcome. Our thanks again to Colette Barrett for sharing her health system's progress in the pursuit of health equity, both with our listeners and with all those who will be reading 340B Health's upcoming report. Please be on the lookout for that release to learn more details about Our Lady of the Lake and the other hospitals featured in the report. Such case studies provide important information and inspiration for 340B hospitals that are working to fulfill their missions to all patients in need. In case you missed the news, registration has opened for this year's annual 340B Coalition Summer Conference. We will be convening August 1st through August 3rd, just outside of Washington, D.C., in National Harbor, Maryland. Please visit 340bsummerconference.org to learn more about the conference agenda and to register today. We look forward to seeing you this summer. If you have questions about 340B's role in health equity or any of the topics we cover on this show, or if you have recommendations for some topics we should cover, please email us at podcast at 340bhealth.org. We will be back in a couple of weeks. As always, thanks for listening and be well. Thanks for listening to 340B Insight. Subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information, visit our website at 340bpodcast.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at 340B Health and submit a question or idea to the show by emailing us at podcast at 340bhealth.org.